The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. More like hiding in the bushes. Yeah, what she means is I've been attracting a few weirdos recently. Oh, she's a total freak magnet. It's frightening. You right, Eileen? Not even close. Oh, dear. Come on, let's get you some privacy. No offence, girls. None taken. Welcome to episode 61 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that's the 13th most listened to TV and film podcast in Kuwait. I'm Gavin. And I'm knackered. I'm just sticky. <laughs> and I've had a shower I'm sticky again already. Yeah. It's it's hot. It's humid. I spent a ridiculous amount of time clearing up the yard of someone else's house this week. Much to your chagrin. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> so, that was last week, wasn't it? Well, it was the beginning of this week. Was it? Oh. Yeah, it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Let's not pick at that scab, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording this on a Saturday morning for a change, as opposed to a Friday night. Yes, thank God, because it was ninety degrees and fifty percent humidity in this room last night. It's now eighty degrees and fifty percent humidity. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel that much of a difference. You seem to be, but yeah. I'm kind of sweaty already. Feeling a significant amount of of difference, but I'm wearing a very light summer dress and you're wearing t-shirts and a short. T-shirts <laughs> and a short. <laughs> Maybe if I just wore the one t-shirt and two shorts. That would have helped. I shorts and a t-shirt. I've got my flip-flops on, those have not been socks. That's, well, yeah, that's that's a big help. That's, that's a big that help. That was killing me yesterday, the so, socks. Oh, dear God. Yeah, I... Uh, Busy around the house yesterday, hanging things up and moving things around and tidying stuff up. And it was like 98% humidity all day yesterday. We got home from dinner and we're like, and I'm like, well, let me just have a little snooze and then, and then, and then we'll see how I feel. And the next thing I knew, it was like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I woke up on the couch <laughs> and came to bed. So, yeah. Was it that late? I kind of felt it. You're. A little earlier than that. Uh, maybe it was midnight. I don't know. My phone had died. Oh. So <laughs> I don't know exactly what time it was. I kind of half remember you coming to bed. You were sound asleep when I went to bed at 11, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. <clears throat> it didn't happen. So this is our emergency plan. And next week's going to be slightly different as well because we're going to be going away next weekend for your Yay! birthday celebrations. Woo-hoo! Thank God. We're getting out of this hellhole. And we're going north. We're going north where it's cooler. <laughs> cooler. <laughs> Right, slightly cooler. I've never done that before. I've never gone north for cooler weather before. <laughs> Typically, we go south for warmer weather. Right, yeah. Well, <clears> this <throat> is our new normal. Right. During the school year, we'll go south to go to get warmer, like spring break and stuff. But it's the middle of summer and climate change has made it so that our one wee air conditioner 
at the other side of the hoose is just not cutting it anymore. Struggling. Yeah. <laughs> so, so struggling. We might have to break down and buy another one for this side of the house. And no chance. Oh. No, just stay hot. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so I was thinking we could probably record on Wednesday night, put something out on Thursday for the Monday and Wednesday episodes. And yeah. then the week after that, we can do Friday and amongst the right, yeah. regular week, maybe. Yeah. We'll aim for that. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll aim for that, so we expect something completely different from that. But yeah. that's, that's the plan. And if you're lucky, maybe we'll share some of our going away photos on, on the Instagram, which I still need the username and password for. Yeah, because I'm not going to do that. I've, yeah, I shared yeah. that. I shared those things. You shared the birdies. Yeah. And our logo. And we somehow have 21 followers already, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> don't know who any of them are. I don't know how this works. Shall we preamble, uh, my dear? Yes, please. Cody News. Faye Brooks, who plays Kate, had her last day of filming for the show yesterday, so we will soon be saying goodbye to our Kate. Quite the reaction on the Twitter about this. Yeah. Just quite a, de- I'm going to say, devoted following. Yes. So, that, so that, that will mean that we will be down to just the one lesbian now. Two. Oh, well, yeah, Paula. Why yeah. do I keep forgetting about Paula? Because she's not a lesbian. She's a bisexual. Is she? Yes. Huh? Remember, she has this whole conversation with Sophie about the fact that she doesn't like labels and that she swings both ways. Oh, in yes. the beginning of the relationship. Paula's whole conversation, yes, I remember this. Yes, yes. So she's not a lesbian. Let's not put the wrong labels on people. <laughs> Apparently, her next role will be in a pantomime in at the Birmingham Hippodrome as Snow White. So And she is the titular Stay away from apples there, Faye. <laughs> the titular Snow White. I think it's a bigger deal than the. Who was the other guy that was? Was it? Was it Robert? Was it Tristan Gemmell? He's off to do Panto as well. Yes. That seems to be the. Seems to be the thing to do. Kind of. It's very lucrative. The Panto season, so. I imagine, if it's similar to anything in this country, it's similar to uh, Vegas. You know how performers and American performers will do like a long-term gig. A residency. Yeah, a residency in Vegas. And and you have regular hours. You have a a steady income. You know, you know exactly what you're doing every day and everything. I'd, I'd be hesitant to liken it to Vegas though. Or, or like off, off Broadway sort of stuff. Or summer stock, which isn't really a thing too much anymore. But or you know the Poconos. We we, we struggled with this a couple of weeks ago. I, I yeah. feel like we're struggling again to draw an equivalency that doesn't exist. Right, <clears throat> but I imagine the reason why it's lucrative is that you know it's a steady gig, steady money. You don't yeah. have to worry and about parents it. Parents love to take their kids to see a pantomime. Right. Yeah. So. Family fun for young and old. Correct. Jack P. Shepard, who plays our David, 
His son, Ruben, who was born in 2013, just landed his first acting role in an ad for Yorkshire furniture firm, HSL, in which he stars with his mum, Lauren Shippey. That's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> a bit young if you go into acting, but I guess it's just an advert, so... Not really. I mean, think about how young, say, Drew Barrymore was, or... Um... How did that turn out? Well, she's fine now. <laughs> and um, hell of a lot of Shawshank that she had to go through before she got a redemption. And <laughs> and and quite a lot. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster started quite young, and she was fine all the way through. I think she's got her demons, doesn't she? No, she's just gay. Yeah, That's I not feel a like demon. she had a bit of a. Oh no, that was somebody who was fantasized about, wasn't it? The guy that shot Reagan. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't directly her fault, I guess. No, no. <laughs> no. That's like blaming uh, J.D. Salinger for John Lennon's death. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we do that? No. Okay. <laughs> or um, Stephen King for that other shooting. Somebody was inspired by... Remember in his Guns essay, he talks about how one school shooter said that he was inspired by his books or was like obsessed with Stephen King or something. Yeah, it was Stephen... a novella that he wrote as Richard yeah. Bachman called right. Rage, I think. Yes. And he totally disavowed it and said, it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. The gun laws in this country. Anyway, how did we get so dark from such a delightful news item? <laughs> and last... Well done, Ruben. That sounds exciting. <laughs> yes. And lastly, Sue Devaney, who plays... Kevin Webster's sister, Debbie, will be returning to the show after being absent since 1985. She was only in it for like six or seven months. Right. And then she was never heard of again. Right. She left when Bill Webster left, I think. Yes, she moved away with the rest of the Websters. She was mentioned briefly last year when somebody mentioned that she had bought a villa in Turkey. How random is that? Yeah. So we'll see her back in the fall as she pays a visit to Kev and Jack. So it doesn't seem like she's going to be on it for very long. It's just a brief visit. Well, she's got a villa in Turkey to look after. So right. You so. know how much they, much time they take up. So. Uh, if it's anything like a house in America. Mm. Yeah, so I remember her being in it. Mm-hmm. It's quite a feisty character, if I remember correctly. But then... I would imagine so. She was in the newt pretty Still, quick. 1985. That is a long gap. So I guess oh, there's... 34 years? Yeah. So I guess there's hope oh, for... Jesus. God. Bloody hell. So I guess there's hope for Carol after all. <laughs> we may see Carol back. <laughs> <laughs> she's bought a timeshare in Malaga. That's where she's away. Our mailbag... Canadian Helen, we didn't have very much in the mailbag this week, but this tickled me. Canadian Helen uh, wrote in to say that she also loves to make a shepherd's pie. Oh. She prefers to use peas and carrots as opposed to uh, corn, and she always uses a can of Franco-American turkey gravy to flavour the ground beef. Ooh, that's You've never done that. No, but I'm not Canadian. And, no, but it's American turkey gravy. It's Franco-American, that's a brand name. Is it? Yeah. Franco-American. That's a brand. Do we get that here? We used to. We'll have to. We'll have to check. We haven't really gone grocery shopping in all this summer. No. It's been too hot to cook. Yeah. And or I saw eat. 
uh, I saw a recipe for a shepherd's pie that had curry sauce as opposed to the beef gravy in it. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, I saw that. That was good. That well. nice. Shepherd's pie is amazing. Well done, Canadian Helen. Yeah, and there were some other people who were horrified that us Americans put corn in our shepherd's pie, to which I replied, don't knock it. We're Americans. We put corn in everything. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a big fan of corn. And either. that's true. Sometimes it's corn syrup, but still, it's corn. Hindsight Corner. The blue, 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 blue. <laughs> this is hilarious. Oh, last week. Last week we weren't sure where Jan was from, but we were absolutely positive that he wasn't from Poland. <laughs> He's from Poland. <laughs> I was sure they mentioned Bulgarians. Was it the other one that was Bulgarian? Anton. Yeah, I thought for sure they were all Bulgarian. <laughs> What's like, up with that? We were like, nope, he's Lithuanian or he's Bul- Bulgarian or something. He's definitely not Polish, though. And then this week, oh yeah, go back to Poland. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Well done, us. Yay. What's your drinking? Coffee and a bottle of water. Ditto. Yes. It's early morning. We're not we're not drinking any alcoholic beverages this early in the morning. <laughs> it's eight forty. Yeah. Yeah, Aquafina. Which is this is this is a PepsiCo product. So we're keeping money out of out of the hands of Nestle. See, I I always go for Aquafina if I have a mm-hmm. choice. Yes. Because I'm not giving money to, to Nestle, Nestle unless I can possibly avoid it. Right. And I don't like that. Is it Dastani? Dastani. Dastani. Yeah. Is that a Coke product? Yes. Yeah. No. I'm not huge in giving money to Coke now either. Why? I just took against them. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Coke. <gasps> Them's fighting words. Mm-hmm. It's a great American product. Well, they unnecessarily changed Coke Zero. To yeah. Coke Zero Sugar, and they've done the same with Sprite Zero, and I don't approve. <laughs> Let's call it Sprite Zero. They changed the name of it because people don't know what the zero means. Really? Well, then people are just stupid, and you can't fix stupid. People's as dumb. Yeah, stupid is as stupid does. Uh, shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. I think we have six storylines to go through tonight. Tonight. Such a force to have it. We have six storylines to go through this morning. Our first storyline is Eileen's Mystery Yan. Ooh. On Monday. (laughs) Eileen and Yan are leaving the house while Eileen nips Yan's ear about getting his rent to her today. She also wants to keep the relationship on the down low, which Yan immediately disrespects by trying to steal a smooch. And we see Paula come out of her house and she visibly reacts when she sees Jan, although she puts on a decent show when she wishes them good morning. Mm-hmm. Eileen though senses something is up and asks Jan if he knows Paula. He denies it and then pretends to be having a secret affair with her. His smile soon fades as soon as he walks away from Eileen. Was that this week? Yeah, that was this week. I had a horrible feeling I was reading out last week's notes there. No, no, that was this week. So Eileen and Liz are gossiping about Eileen getting a hold off of Jan. And in comes Paula, and Eileen starts quizzing her about earlier on, asking if Paula was avoiding her and Jan. I'm not even sure that Paula knows either of the two of them. Have they had any interactions, Paula with Eileen? I, I don't, don't recall. Th- I don't think so. I'm trying to think if Eileen... 
has any quarter with either Sally or with um, Nick. Oh, Nick. The, the two people that Paula has represented right. in the show. And I can't think of anything. Fleeting, I would say. Yeah, just neighborly, maybe. But they seem to know each other's names. Paula insists that she was merely rushing off to a morning meeting and she goes off to sit in one of the booths. Evelyn, who seems to shop Dev's store quite frequently these days, is surprised that Paula, for being a lawyer, is such a terrible liar. Then Eileen and Paula exchange looks. Liz thinks Eileen is being paranoid, but Eileen thinks with due cause, considering her track record, so that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. If Paula knows Jan, maybe he's a dodgy character, and the two of them were dodgy as fuck earlier on. After a rambling monologue from Emma, Eileen gets the idea to Google Jan and see what's what. So Google rather than Vogel. Mm-hmm. Liz thinks that this is a poor start to a relationship, and that she should give the bloke a chance. Right. This is Liz giving relationship advice. <laughs> Un- unironically. Yes. Yes, because we all know how well it works out for Liz, which she gives a bloke a chance. Right. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Emma catches Liz googling Jan and gives her a hard time for being a hypocrite, but Liz insists that she's just looking out for her best mate and decides she hasn't found anything worth talking about yet. And then she does. Emma drifts away and Liz continues her search and immediately it seems like she's found something a little bit juicier. So later, Liz pays Eileen and Jan a visit. She's invited herself round for dinner and she sends Jan to nip off to Dev's to get some vino. Well, let's hope that Dev's open because if <laughs> Evelyn has anything to do with it, it probably won't be. Liz tells Eileen that she's found out some information about Jan. He's not the law-abiding citizen that they thought he was. Liz shows Eileen her phone and we're led to believe that Jan has some form for drug dealing. Uh-oh. Liz advises getting his side of the story before kicking his arse to the curb and then leaves them to it. So later again, Jan's come back from the store and Eileen and he are having dinner. They talk about him getting back to Poland to visit his mum. He's not been back for ages. And this is the moment where it's like, ah, shit, he's Polish after all. Eileen fancies a cheeky wee weekend away. They can do it fairly cheaply these days. Why don't they go and visit his old mum? And Jan is evasive. Come on, says Eileen, it's not as though you can't leave the country. It's not as though you're banned from leaving the country. And it's not as though Paula is your solicitor. Dun, dun, dun. Well played. Jan insists that he's a good man. It wasn't heroin or anything like that. It was just valleys. It was stuff that he can buy over the counter in India, he said. Yikes. What does he know about buying valleys in India? It makes me wonder. Makes you wonder what? What else he's getting in India? What? Like, like a carpet or, or a nice hat? Other drugs oh. and and other things that did you see teasers black market uh, and stuff thoughts on this no she mentioned on the Twitter her theory about Jan and Paula which is what that Jan is an undercover cop and Paula is in on it too I don't think so. It's an interesting theory. I don't think so. Okay, anyway. He says he's nothing like Pat, but Eileen can't do this, and she tells him to get out of her house. And to be fair, to be fair, drug dealing is not necessarily the same thing as murder. As serial murder. 
you know, yes, you can make the argument that giving people drugs or selling people drugs that might kill them one way or another is a manslaughter of some kind. But it's not shooting people yourself or stabbing people yourself. Island camps to the rovers complaining about Jan to Liz and Emma and Maria. She believes him about the valleys, but wishes he'd spoken to her about it, even though that's not the easiest thing to bring up. She's sick of all these bad decisions she's made. Maria wonders that Eileen is taking the safe option, like she's been guilty of doing recently. Hmm. So when Eileen goes back to the house, Jan hasn't left and he wants to explain himself. He was afraid to share that information with Eileen and then he goes to leave. That was a pretty poor explanation, I thought. But Eileen tells him to wait. Jan tells a story of an abusive father, a hard-working mother, and how he'd always take care of her. <clears throat> and how he said he would always take care of her. He built her a house, took care of his sisters, but then he lost his job and an old friend came along with a quick money-making scheme involving Valium. Eileen buys it and tells him that she can't be hurt again, and Jan promises to never let her down, and she gives him another chance. Jan is doing the dishes while Eileen relaxes with some vino and a chit-chat magazine. Jan's phone rings and he pretends to take the rubbish out, but really he's answering the call. He says that it's been taken care of, the caller has nothing to worry about, and he'll speak to whoever it is tomorrow. But we have no idea who that is. Well, not yet. Do we know who it is? Well, yes, because the next day, who does he go to speak with? Alina. Oh, you think Alina phoned him? No. No, Alina is the person he's going to speak to Oh, you tomorrow. think Rachel phoned him? Somebody phoned him. I don't think it was Rachel necessarily. Well, I'm saying we don't know who it was, and you're saying that we do. Oh, no. But we we know who he's going to speak to tomorrow, oh, okay. not who's on the phone. Okay. On Wednesday, Jan has bought... Oh, spoiler alert for stuff that I'm about to say. Wednesday... Jan has bought Eileen some flowers and thanks her for the second chance. Well, as long as there are no more skeletons in your closet, she says, which Jan pretends to take literally. And come Seb, who hasn't slept well, he has Alina on his mind. He wishes he hadn't kept turning up at the nail salon a million times like a creepy stalker asshole. Eileen is quick to keep Seb in the dark about her and Jan. Then Moira nabs Liz and Devs and starts quizzing her about Eileen and Jan, who she calls Yum. Liz isn't for gossiping and is under the impression that Eileen's about to kick his ass out and advises that even if the two of them are no longer an item, Moira should stay well clear. Because he's a buddy. Then Eileen and Liz are in the rovers and Eileen explains about Jan's story and how she's given him a second chance and along comes Moira with vino and fancy lipstick. When her back's turned, Eileen and Liz start mocking her. I felt quite sorry for Moira there. I didn't. You don't. You really don't like her, do you? Because she's an awful person. Is she? Yeah, she's awful. She just doesn't have a filter. She's awful. Why is she awful? Because she doesn't have a filter. That doesn't make her awful. No, it? no, and because she's she says horrible things to people. I don't think she realizes it though. I don't think it's done deliberately. I think some of it is done deliberately. You think? Yeah. I don't know. I quite like her. I think she's funny. Moira I don't think she's funny either. So It's quizzing Eileen about Jan, and Eileen is cagey because she still wants to pretend that they're not an item. But when Moira starts flirting with Jan at the bar, offering him a ticket for Wicked. Do you like musical theatre, she says. <laughs> Eileen can't hold Which her water. Which will play in another storyline. See, that's funny. <laughs> Eileen can't hold her water, barges between them and announces that they are in fact an item, just as Seb comes in to overhear all this. 
But for whatever reason that they're concerned about letting Seb in on the whole this, he doesn't really give a shit. He really doesn't. He seems fine about it and wonders if this means that he'll get his old room back. Yeah, that's all he cares about. It's a bit early for that kind of talk, says Eileen. Then Seb is worrying about Alina again. Maybe he should go back to the nail bar after all. Oh, what? <laughs> he has one plan. His one plan is to continually go back to the nail salon. Stay away. And see if Rachel has any information because he has such a great relationship with Rachel. Such a dum-dum. Oh, Jan manages to talk him out of it. If Thank he loves God. her, he should set her free, he says. Meanwhile, Eileen talks to Paula at the bar. She tells Paula that she's with Jan and she believes him about the drugs and she tells Paula to keep to help him beat the charge and Paula's like, oh, I can't talk about any of this. And Paula's very uneasy and tells her that she'll do her best and then Paula and Jan exchange a very uncomfortable stare. So Jan is now round at the nail bar talking to Alina. He tells her that Sepp has moved on and she shouldn't try to contact him again. It's too dangerous. If Rachel found out, she might lose more than her job. And this scares Alina into agreeing. Yeah, so Rachel's evil. Yep. But we knew that already. Well, we kind of suspected it. She's like the true villain in this in this show. She's like a true villain. She's not an accidental villain like Gary. Right. Without saying as much as we kind of know about this story, because Corey keep on telling us about it. It's spoiling crap. It seems at least that we know now that Alina's been held kind probably of a, against her will. Right. In a very toxic working relationship with her boss. Correct. Who is probably holding other people working there. Yeah, all the other Eastern European girls that are right. there. East. Yeah. I think that's an interesting angle because I really don't want Paula to be a baddie because I like Paula. And I don't want Jan to be a baddie because we've done that. And we've just so obviously done that. Are we really going to do it again? Are you kidding? All builders are baddies. Don't you know that? Has Coronation well, Street taught you nothing? All builders are baddies. All builders are inherently evil. I just, I'm waiting for Ed to do something wrong now. I just don't think we Which can... Which better not happen because I love the Baileys and I want more of them. Hardly in it again this week. I know. Well, I, we I got Ed. I can't remember the last time we saw Aggie. I know. More Baileys. Give us more Baileys. Why, why introduce a family and then just do nothing with them? Seriously. More Baileys. <laughs> Give us more Baileys. But getting back to Jan. <laughs> so that would, that would have like three builders back to back being evil... Yeah. Mm, that's a bit much. And Seb was kind of baby evil because, like, remember when he was pouting and throwing stuff and yelling at people? And oh, yeah, just... he was tantrum evil. Oh, that was so annoying. I'm so glad that he's he's so much more chill now. And he... Well, that was the loudest bird ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it's taking up residency in a branch just outside our window. Something we don't have to deal with in the night time. No. So were you done? I can't remember what you were saying. <laughs> this is so hard to do in the morning. But I'm still not awake. <laughs> it's all about the birds. Um. Yeah. No. That's I'm in complete agreement. I, although I, it feels like Jan is involved in some way in 
what Rachel is doing, it doesn't seem like he's like the enforcer in any way. If you know what I mean. No, and the thing that's keeping me away from him being the undercover cop uh, theory that Teaser has mm-hmm. is he does seem to have this charge hanging over him for right. the Valium. So maybe... Maybe ma- an informant? Yeah, so maybe that. Maybe yeah. a, st- a, a stool pigeon? Is that... Well, an informant. A supergrass. An informant. We're not going to use any negative connotations to somebody who is helping the police in a situation where young women are being trafficked. What stool pigeon's right though, right? No. Is that not what stool pigeon is? Yeah, but stool pigeon is slang for, you know, like a a jailhouse informant more than, you know, an informant who's still out on the street. Okay. Necessarily. And it also has negative connotations. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me because I get all my... Snitches. Like, snitches get get stitches. I get all my uh, technical prison prison (laughs) jargon from 1950s American movies. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Our next story tonight is Roy's wiring. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. On Monday at Roy's Rolls, Izzy's complaining about Evelyn to Roy. She seems... uh, It seems that she's banned... What's his face? Oh, God, what's his face? She's banned as... Jake. She's banned Jake from the shop. Seems that his eyes are too shifty. It was a strange thing to say. Then in comes Ed to order a bacon butty when the electric sparks out behind the counter. So Roy's in the rovers, leaving Ed to take a look at the electrics. Ed comes in and he says that he needs to do a full assessment and to be on the safe side, he should stay out of the cafe and the flat until he can be sure it isn't dodgy wiring. So Evelyn comes in presumably the shop is closed again, and tells Roy that she warned him about that cowboy Sparky, but would he listen? No. Would he fuck? No. Then Roy bumps into Tyrone in the street and explains about this business with electrics. Roy's going to go stay at a B&B and seems quite happy to do so, but Tyrone insists that he stays with them. Evelyn, he says, will be made up about this. So, in this country, going to a B&B... Is kind of a fancy thing to do is is something you know it's it's kind of show-offy to say that you're going to stay at a B&B for the weekend as opposed to say a hotel or a motel you know because because B&Bs not necessarily Airbnbs but regular B&Bs tend to be a bit more expensive and a bit more exclusive than say a regular hotel room because they they have fewer rooms in an, in a B&B and you get a nicer breakfast and stuff like that. But through this show, it seems like in the UK, a B&B is kind of a dodgy, shifty, gross kind of place. Um, not necessarily, but... Like every time somebody says that they're going to stay at a B&B and nobody in this show seems to stay at a hotel unless they're going to eat there. Yeah, I think a B and B is a cheaper option. That's so strange to me that that would be because you get none of the amenities of the hotel. You probably don't have a pool. You probably you maybe have a TV room. Maybe you might have a TV in your room. You might not. You might have to share a bathroom with somebody. You and know. so it's more like a hostel than than a than well, a B and B. They vary, I guess. Yeah. If you're going to a B and B in the country, that's a converted 
pub or something like that, then maybe you're getting a... Because the kind of has a big wagon really wheel nice. on the wall with yeah. ivy grown up it. That right, kind of yeah, that's typically what a B&B is here. Right. You know, and y- yes, Airbnbs can sometimes be in dodgy neighborhoods or, you know, just sharing somebody's somebody's house for the weekend, you know, where you just get a room and the person that you're renting from is in the room next to you and stuff. That's just an empty room in somebody's flat. So that's kind of, I can see where that would be like, oh, no, you don't want to stay with strangers and stuff. But a yeah, regular a, B&B. A, a B&B is above that. Yeah. But they're not all the ivy wagon wheel yeah. kind of thing. See, typically here in this country, they're all the ivy wagon wheel sort of thing. I've always wanted to have an, a B&B. I tried to convince my parents to buy this house in New London and convert it to a B&B. And I almost got them convinced. It was back when, when my dad wanted to start a family company where we would flip houses. And <laughs> mm. and I had this house all picked out and everything, and the price was right. But unfortunately, somebody was squatting in the basement. Oh, nice. And they couldn't get rid of that person. Right. <laughs> so we're like, we don't really want to deal with that. So nah. that, that killed my B&B dreams. Yeah, dear. Oh. My aunt, well, I say it was an aunt. I think it was just a friend of... My granddad. Who you considered an aunt? Who I considered an aunt. She had a, or she and her husband had a B&B in Blackpool. Oh, nice. And that's pretty much all there is in the centre of Blackpool is right. all these converted Victorian terrace houses that are being converted into B&Bs. And they're, 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 they're it was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as nice as a hotel, though. <laughs> I'd have preferred a hotel. Yeah, I mean... Sometimes it's nice to get away from a television and stuff if you want, you know, some peace and quiet out in the country and relaxation and stuff. Anyway, I think that's 15 minutes on B&Bs, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's jog on. Yes, let's do that. At home, Evelyn doesn't approve of Roy staying and Tyrone thinks that Evelyn is protesting a wee bit too much at this. Mean, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ruby is wearing funny wee unicorn headphones and is utterly adorable. As always. <laughs> Ruby loves Uncle Roy, she says. And then Roy comes in with two vegetarian lasagna for dinner. Sorted, says Tyrone, and Evelyn pretends to be gracious. Ty explains the new sleeping arrangements. Evelyn can sleep with Ruby, and Roy can get Evelyn's bed. And Evelyn again pretends to be cool with this, but Roy senses that the truth is something kind of different. On Wednesday, Roy is up cooking breakfast at Tyrone's, and Evelyn has had a hard time with it in Ruby's bunk bed. That image that conjured up is hilarious. <laughs> Roy explains that Edison has explained that he can't go back home just yet. Evelyn's back is out, and uh, she pretends not to be interested in the breakfast, but then gives Cerberus one of the sausages. Right, and that's a callback to when Cerberus stole a sausage at Roy's rolls, and Roy banned them both. Right. Yes. Ed's at Dev's and getting a hard time from Evelyn about Roy's wiring. She needs that fixed, and Roy to get home ASAP. Ed says he's working on it, and in fact, that's where he's heading off to right now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully his sons are helping him. We don't know because we can't see them. No, because that's pretty much all we saw of Ed this week. Yeah. Except for what we're More Baileys. Now. More Baileys. So Ed comes round to Tyrone's to explain the situation. The previous guy, was it Larry? Yes. He was a cowboy. And while Ed can fix it, it's going to take a couple of weeks. Evelyn is shocked. Roy's not staring here for a fortnight. 
Roy offers to take the bunk bed, but even thinks all his stuff is still going to get under their feet. It's ridiculous. But when you actually see it, Roy kind of lives, manages to live in a... Very sparingly. In a one square foot kind of block and is tidying up everything and... Right. Being an incredibly good house guest to them. Absolutely. As one would expect of Roy. Roy doesn't want to be an inconvenience, but Ty's insistent that he stays. And if Evelyn doesn't like it, well, she knows what she can do. She can get out. Yes. Get out. Get out. Get out. Walking ain't crowded. Evelyn is chatting with Michelle and later Tyrone about Roy. She paints a very different picture of Roy, calling calling him a a laser. Sexual predator. She calls him a laser when it comes to getting what he wants. (laughs) And what does he want, asks Tyrone. He wants his hole, says Evelyn. And Michelle laughs (laughs) into tinned vegetables. As do we all. As do we all. If I'd had tinned vegetables in my hand, I would have laughed into those tinned vegetables. <laughs> Evelyn claims that he has a smouldering look for her when no one else is around. He's a man possessed, she says. <laughs> so later at home, Evelyn's there and she's still complaining about Roy, telling Ty that the only reason why he put the kitchen roll in the cupboard under the sink is so he can check out her arse when she has to bend over to pick it up. She calls him <laughs> a sexual predator. Yes, she does. And Ty tells her, this needs to stop. Why does she hate him so much? And she says that she doesn't hate him. She says he's just weak and spineless with this electrician business, and it's not helping anyone. (laughs) Tyrone calls this a new law. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love this whole thing. I love it. I love it. I almost don't ever want them to get together because this whole, you know... Both of them protesting far too much. It's just so funny. It's and charming. It's and the it's old just, adage, isn't it? Because when I you had uh, Sam and Diane in Cheers, when they got together, it was never the same. And when uh, Niles and Daphne got together in Fraser, or uh, yeah, but Niles and Daphne were never were never fighting. No, but there was very much uh, the sexual, sexual tension. tension yes, there. but it wasn't like Sam and Diane where they were sniping at each other. And I'm going to say David Addison and whichever character Cyril, Cyril? <laughs> Sybil Shepherd played in Moonlighting, they had that kind of relationship. And then when they got Absolutely. together, it kind of petered yeah. out a little bit. So, yeah. Or like um, X Files. Of Mulder and Scully. Yeah, when Mulder and Scully finally smooch and stuff, it's just like, meh. Did they ever smooch? Eventually, yeah. Oh, like, I don't towards, think I saw the very, that. towards the very end. And then. Oh, well, that's and fine. Then they, Keep it to the end. And then they. We're doing some smooching, I guess, in the reboot that I watched like two episodes of, and then it was like, this is really stupid and awful, (sighs) which made me sad. That's like 15 minutes about the (laughs) X-Files reboot, so let's move on to it. That was two seconds of (laughs) X-Files. Evelyn comes downstairs to find Roy ironing ironing his shirts. She's quite impressed by his style that he learnt from his mum. But she quickly starts winding him up about how she can't blame him from staying here rather than his pokey wee flat. But he insists and becomes quite animated that the flat is everything to him. Well then, says Evelyn, you'll have been in touch with that electrician bloke, Larry. And Roy confirms that he sent a very strongly worded letter. <laughs> a oh, for, letter. A oh, snail mail letter. Not even an email. Oh, for fuck's sake, says Evelyn. The man probably can't read. You need to be more assertive. Roy asks, hypothetically, what this assertion might look like. So Larry turns up to see Roy. Evelyn gives him a pep talk before letting him in, and Roy is uh, Roy is filming the encounter on his phone. Well, it's not his phone. He doesn't have a phone. It's Evelyn's phone. It's Evelyn's phone, yes. 
and keeps on backing away from the guy when he comes in because she's he's scared that he's going to get hit. I think. Right. Yes. Evelyn accuses Larry of ripping off Roy and doing a botched job. Are you guilty or not guilty? And Evelyn calls him a swindler. The spark is about to call the police, and that's enough for Roy to quit this. He's been arrested more than once, he says, and he doesn't want it to happen again. Then Larry says that you're just lucky that I'm not charging you for a call-out fee here, and leaves in a huff. And then it turns out that Roy didn't take a video after all, he just it took just a photo. Took a photo. <laughs> in comes time. Which, I mean, the man has never used a cell phone before, so... Of course he only just took a photo. He has no idea what he's doing. She gave him the proper instructions. Press that red button. That's all he needs to do. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do it right. In comes Ty wearing his Los Angeles shirt. Happy to see that they've settled their differences. Roy is going to go to trading standards to complain about Larry the electrician. And Evelyn calls him soft as shite and then leaves to go to work. And then there's a little scene where she's actually at work and she seems to be listening to a phone-in radio show mm-hmm. that gives her an idea. Yes. I it's, think we were supposed to notice that. Yes, yes. It's a phone-in show for people who have complaints about things. Mm-hmm. So later on, Roy has taken some of Evelyn's comments on board and he's about to take service for a walk and he's re- regaling Tyrone and Evelyn with facts about dogs' noses. Evelyn thinks that the winter nights are going to fly by and she tells Roy that he needn't worry about Larry anymore. She's taking care of that shit. And she seems very, very happy that he's taking Cerberus out for a walk as well. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to delight her a little bit. <laughs> She's so hard Cerberus to read. has her life, right. as we know. Right. So for Roy to take an interest in that pooch is, is lovely. Yeah. I just, I, I love this. I want this to continue. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to continue for a couple of weeks anyway, so. Yeah. But. Do you want them ultimately to get together, or uh, as we just I talked don't know. about? I don't know. It might it might ruin everything. But then again, if it just drags on and on and on and on, it could get exhausting and and ridiculous. Kind of like not Sam and Diane, but Sam and um, Rebecca. Rebecca, which just you know that got annoying. If there's one thing that makes me think there's kind of legs to this or the longevity of the situation as it is is that the actors that are involved in it mm-hmm. are just so good. They really are. <laughs> and this means that... It, and if if Roy and Evelyn get together, that means we're keeping her. That even when Fizz comes back, right. she's going to be on the show. And that just... Because I, I, love, I love her so much. Yeah, me too. Our next storyline tonight, Maria's Hole. <laughs> what? Tonight. Oh, I did again, did I? Did. <laughs> it is 9.12 in the morning. <laughs> Maria's hole. On Monday, Maria is pampering Steve at the barbers. When Audrey comes in, Maria's not happy. She's frustrated with her life, and Steve McDonald's getting more action than she is. Steve McDonald's. Steve says, Oi, I'm right here. Steve, Mc, Steve McDonald's getting more action than anybody. <laughs> Audrey thinks that she should be putting herself out there in the real world to find someone. But she doesn't have time for that. What with David being banged up and having to look after her kid and all that. Audrey suggests giving Emma more hours and will help her find Mr. Wright. She has the perfect man in mind, in fact. This guy called Bob. He's due for a trim at three o'clock, in fact. What are you looking at me like that for? And he's like a silver silver fox? A silver fox. And Maria's not, not dissuaded by this. No, no, of course not. 
Everybody likes a silver fox. Then a rakishly handsome Scottish bloke turns up for a haircut and Maria assumes that this is a guy that Audrey has set her up with. Even though he doesn't have an awful lot of white hair. No. Or silver hair. No. No, most of his hair is black. The two of them flirt a little bit and Maria ignores a text from Audrey that is no doubt telling her that this guy is a serial killer or whatever. Or that he's cancelled or something. The Scottish bloke is talking about going to Iceland and Maria's lapping up the chat until he reveals that he's married. In fact, he's been married for 27 years. Very happily, thank you very much. And Maria acts... Uh, Maria reacts very badly to this. She really does. Calling the bloke a sleazebag. He insists he was on the up and up and Maria's young enough to be his daughter, for God's sake. Something that Maria was good enough to see beyond, she says. The nodder comes in who confirms that this isn't Bob. Bob had to cancel, didn't you get my text? And the bloke calls Maria crazy taps the side of his head three times and leaves without paying for his haircut. Oh, pig's tits, says Maria. Yes. So she gets neither the D or the money. The D? The D. Which I'm almost scared to ask. Oh, the <laughs> the B. <laughs> yeah, but Maria's not Scottish. No. <laughs> and neither am I. The D or the money. Is that a phrase... No, I just made it up. I mean, the D, you know, mm-hmm. I'm out to get me some D. That <laughs> That st- is... You can stop motioning there. I, can, I understand. That is a phrase, but I I just cleverly put it together with the money. Well, cleverly, did you? Money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Maria's given Eileen some advice in the previous story. Yes. And then back in the pub, Emma encourages Maria to practice what she pre- preaches in that regard and gets her to open up that stupid date nap thing. She does and is instantly inundated with tons of notifications. It seems there's no shortage of good-looking weirdos interested in Maria. They can't all be weirdos, surely. They can't all be weirdos. Well, <laughs> the evidence suggests maybe otherwise. On Wednesday, Emma and Maria are ready to open up the hair salon when Maria gets a notification from one of the blokes she was messaging the other day. It's Ben. He likes dogs. They're meeting up for lunch and Emma is uber excited about this. But Maria is keeping her cards a bit closer to her chest. Mm-hmm. Then a handsome bloke comes into the rovers and Emma immediately directs him to Maria. They're both giggly and nervous and Maria has already got the wine in because apparently this guy likes the vino. Oh, nice. Maria and the bloke seem to be getting on very well until his mum phones and wanting details of the day and his demeanour instantly changes. Ugh. As the conversation between him and his mum continues, it seems to transpire that the guy either still lives at his parents or is in regular contact around there for dinner and Maria's not really all that impressed. Yeah. Despite this, Ben, because that's his name, and Maria are continuing to chit-chat about stuff, and Maria tells him about Liam, and he says that he's really great with kids. In fact, he's just a big kid himself. Mm-hmm. And that's when his mum actually turns up. Yeah. <laughs> and she announces that Maria, well, she scrubs up pretty decently, she supposes, and then sends Ben off to get a drink while she and Maria become acquainted. Yeah, and, and she gets tries to uh, weasel some free hair care right. out of Maria. What can you do with this, she says pointing to her mop. <laughs> Maria pretends to take a phone call and has to leave, but as she's leaving, her phone actually rings properly. Yeah, which oh. was hilarious. Word. <laughs> but then Moira sidles up to Ben, who's waiting at the bar. Yes, yes, because she's been, you know, cut down by Eileen and, and, and Jan. And and she had, she had made eye contact with Ben briefly. Right. So she's like, oh... Fresh meat. <laughs> and she asks Ben if he's interested in musical theatre. <laughs> so later we see Moira and Ben's mum are singing hits from Wicked. 
<laughs> okay, and that was funny. I will give you that. That was funny. And, and Ben is in the middle just wanting to die. Can die. And he's finally fed up with it, gets up and drags his mum away. And Moira is a little crushed by this. Yes, because because Ben's mum is like, oh, what about Moira? She's a bit long in the tooth, but <laughs> but she's, you know, nice and, and stuff. And Ben's like, no, absolutely not. So he, he finally learned to stand up for himself. Right. All it took was an unattractive woman who's like 10 years his senior. That's harsh. Do you think Moira is attractive? I don't think she's unattractive. I mean, I'm sure the actress who plays her is absolutely lovely. <laughs> but on the show, she's not very attractive. I don't uh, think so. I wouldn't say she was unattractive. I would say she's a, a knockout, but... For, I'm digging myself into a hole here. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Maria's talking to Michelle about her disastrous love life. Every bloke she's ever been with has been a nut job. There was Charlie Stubbs, Tony Gordon, Pablo the South American, I think that's your favourite, Crazy Stalker Will, Gay Marcus. Tyrone didn't love her, and neither did Aiden for that matter, and she probably didn't even love him either. The only one she truly loved was Liam, and Michelle tells her Mr. Wright might be under her nose, and Maria reveals that that's exactly what Ali said to her the other week. Ali talks a lot ah, of sense, she says. Ah. Oh, really? The blindness towards oh, really? Ali is... And it... Yeah, it's like, you might be right under your nose. Oh, Allie said the same thing. That's because Allie is the one right under your nose, girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Come on now. (laughs) On Friday, Michelle is chatting with Allie, who seems to have moved out in his own place now. Yes, remember he said he was going to move out when when Robert moved back in. She teases him about bringing loads of women back to his bachelor pad, which is quite a weird conversation to have with your mother, I'd imagine. Along comes Maria, and Michelle tells Allie about pathetic Maria. Thanks for nothing, says Maria. And she storms off. Maria's at the bistro ahead of another date. It's another handsome dude called Rex. And he's apparently taken the liberty of ordering the wine. Rex is... Really? I don't think that's his real name. I think it's Rover. Stop! (laughs) Off goes Maria looking pretty chuffed with herself. So Ali arrives and he's sitting at the bar overseeing Maria's date. Turns out the guy's quite successful in business and is looking to settle down. But he's finding it quite hot in here. Do you mind if I take off my tie? Mm-hmm. So he takes off his tie and undoes his shirt button and he reveals that he's wearing a dog collar. Mm-hmm. An actual studied dog collar. Yes. He's not a vicar or anything. No. Maria seems to misunderstand this somewhat as an interest in punk and admits to turning the music up and howling when she worked in the kennels and he thinks all these Christmases have come at once. She asks to see a picture of him in the full get-up, and he shows her, and this is not what she's expecting to see. No. And later, Maria's explained to Michelle what she actually saw, that Rex actually enjoys dressing up as a dog and going for walks and shitting on the street and stuff. Well, no, not shitting on the street. Rex comes back from the toilet, or presumably he's... <laughs> Peter against a lamppost or something. Oi. And Maria promises that she didn't tell anyone about the fetish stuff. Then Ali comes over to ask if they want a doggy bag, which Maria takes as an insensitive joke. And Rex goes off with his tail between his legs. Yeah, and Ali had no idea. No. No. So, yeah, because, I mean, it's okay to have weird fetishes. It's absolutely okay. You know, and Maria was keeping an open mind. 
about this. I mean, what people do in their bedrooms is fine. They're not consenting. They're consenting adults. So whatevs. Was this a sexual fetish or was it just they like dressing up as dogs? That's that's a sexual fetish. Isn't they just like being a dog? That's that's. Remember when we had a conversation about furries about like three months ago? Do you that remember was that? More than three months ago. Was it? Yeah, that was in the early days of the, this podcast. It was when you a while ago. A picture of Steve McQueen masturbating in a tree. That wasn't Steve McQueen. Oh, James Dean. It was James Dean. <laughs> no offense intended to the state of Steve McQueen. <laughs> oh, I'm sure masturbated in many trees. <laughs> You're sure of that, are you? <laughs> No, but that wasn't the picture that I should do that time. The picture I should do that time was two yes, people dressed up. Yes, I remember. Yeah. I rem- vividly, I remember. <laughs> yeah, it seemed so, like Maria was actually, she wasn't utterly no, she put wasn't, off by no, it. No, she wasn't utterly put off by it. She wasn't utterly put off by either of them, really. She was put off by the guy's mum, but she's still... Right. She was kind of decent to the guy. Right, yeah, but yeah, I think she had more problem with a mama's boy than somebody who has... A dog fetish, as as I think would would any one, I would much rather a dog fetish than a mama's boy. I've dated mama's boys before, and it was horrible. Anyway, it, yeah, Michelle and Ali enjoy gossiping about Maria. Michelle feels guilty because Maria has been down in the dumps, so Ali promises to go around to make sure that she's okay. Michelle gives her gives him a bottle of wine to help smooth things over. And a reluctant Maria finally buzzes Ali up to the flat, and up he comes and invites himself to share the vino with her. Was there something about a bra as well? She seemed to have a... Oh, yeah, she was... She, When she buzzes him up, she realises that there's, like, a bra on the couch and is, like, tidying up and stuff. Remember, Maria lives with two other young women. Yeah. There are three young women who live in that house, so of course there's a bra on the couch. Right. Ali's going through Maria's music collection. And Maria thinks he's one of those intense blokes who stand at the back of concerts stroking his chin. She wonders why he isn't out picking up chicks and he claims to be too busy. She can sympathise and she starts moaning about going to die alone. Aww. Ali tells her that she could get any bloke she wants. Even the one who's speaking to her right now. Right now. He's making it so obvious and she still doesn't pick up on it. And Ali wonders if he's really... Uh, uh, all that intense after all and Maria does a passable impression of him being Mr. Intense and Frowny Doctor uh-huh. they're kind of pissed by this point because they've got through the second bottle of wine and they start to dance and they eventually smooch but then Maria then worries that Michelle will kill her, this can't happen remember what Michelle was like when Ali slept with Carla god I forgot about that yeah Maria is a bit younger than Carla and I don't think Michelle would protest that at all and Carla Carla is Carla is actually related to Ali whereas Maria was only related by merit is only related by marriage to Liam so this should not be a problem for Michelle no so you can bet it will be I don't think it would be I think Michelle would be perfectly happy with this well she sends on packing anyway so the whole has been postponed, at the very least. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, they quite like to see Ali and Maria get, I've, get I've, together. I've, I've already expressed my approval yeah, of this. I think we both have. Yes, just like uh, we approve of the whole Ryan and Alia thing. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, very much so. Like those two. Mm-hmm. Yes. We like it when people are happily paired together. Okay, so we've kind of talked about that previously then. So let's skip on to our next story, which is the Knicker People Shares. <laughs> <laughs> on Wednesday, Sarah arrives at the Knicker Factory slash Community Centre with bacon rolls for all the Knicker people and share certificates for them. Isn't that exciting? Very exciting. Beth asks about their bonus and Sarah stalls. The Knicker people are chatting about how they intend to spend their money. Beth and Kirk are going to Mallorca to shag each other's brains out on Love Island. Sean wants a new wardrobe, as he wants a new wheelchair. Sarah explains about a new job, and the Knicker people are desperate to start making knickers again. This means getting back in a factory, and that means repairing the factory, and that means there can be no bonus, because insurance won't pay out while the investigation is ongoing, so they're going to have to be out of pocket for a while. Sally wants a shareholder meeting to decide. Knock yourself out, says Sarah. So the Knicker people are meeting at the Rovers, and it seems everyone except Beth is willing to forgo their bonus in favour of a repaired factory. Beth, however, still has her sights on Love Island, and Izzy points out that they'll earn more money back in the factory in the long run sewing knickers, but Beth worries about what will happen if it all goes under again. She's very much living in the now, and not thinking about the future. So the Knicker people vote on it, and Kirk has a casting vote, and the majority say, let's give up the bonus and move back to the factory. Beth calls him a traitor and storms out. And she's had a tantrum and hasn't turned back up for work, so Kirk has to go off to find her and find her. He does at Speeddale, I think. It was a strange little corner of wherever it was. Mm-hmm. It was Speeddale. Beth calls him a traitor again, and she needed that money now. She wanted to eat lobster on Love Island. She's going to sell her shares then. So Beth is back at work now, and she's pretending to be uh, the happy little worker, and she's even going to work late to make her hours up. Meanwhile, Sarah, who has just had a fairly traumatic encounter with Gary in another storyline, comes in all sweetness and light with talk about moving back to the factory. Beth, on the QT, tries to sell her shares to Sean. And later, Beth then tries to sell her shares to Paul. Sean's already offered her two grand, but she'd rather sell to Paul. And he gives her until tomorrow to make up his mind. (laughs) Yes, because Paul wasn't at the shareholder meeting. And Paul seems to be quite upset as well that... They voted to put their bonuses back in. So he seems to be the only one on Beth's side. Right. On Friday in the factory slash community centre, Beth is badgering Sean for her money for the shares, otherwise she'll be selling to Paul. Sean confirms that he'll get the money today. Cock-a-hoop, she brags to Kirk, who's wearing the most paisley patterned item of clothing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It was... So paisley. Until we see Imran's tie later. Did you see the Imran? I didn't see Imran's tie. Mm. Conversation Street pointed that out yeah. on the Twitter feed, but I don't remember seeing it. Mm. He thinks this is uh, well dodgy, and it makes Beth a two-faced cow. He's standing up to Beth quite a bit these days. I know, I like it. Mm. I like it. Sally Connors, Kirk, want to know what Beth's up to. Kirk says Beth's looking for sponsorship for a marathon, but Sally's not buying it. Yeah, who Spill would? Spill the beans, she says, yeah. It's like the worst lie ever. <laughs> so later, Sally confronts Beth in the pub about her unethical behaviour. But when Beth explains that Sean wants more shares just to shut Sally up, Sally becomes interested in buying them herself. She's interested in the power. Yeah. Sean sees Beth and Sally in the Rovers, and they take part in a bit of a bidding war. Uh, also, Beth can get her holiday on Love Island. And Kirk's sick of this. He's calling another meeting, and Beth is not invited. So in the Knicker people meeting at the Rovers, they decide to sit, buy the shares collectively and split them amongst them, but they're only going to do it for face value. 
Macbeth tells them to go fuck themselves, she'd rather sell to Paul. But Paul, who's conveniently not on screen today, agrees with the other knicker people. Beth is uber pissed, but eventually agrees. It's a deal. Because the knicker people aren't actually knicker people at the moment. They're packing people. Well, they're packing knickers, so they're still knicker people. Packing knicker people? They're knicker packing people. Knicker packing people. Yes. Okay. I think this is... This is just a silly little done story now. I don't think there's anything... Is there anything hugely going to come from the shareholder stuff? I think eventually, later on, when the factory is indeed rebuilt and the money is coming in for the people who still have shares in the factory, I think Beth is going to be quite upset. But it's her own doing, so she can GTF. I'll be quite happy if that happens. You will? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I like seeing Beth get her comeuppance every now and again. Yeah. And it's good to see this saucy beth back because we've been seeing sweet auntie beth quite a bit lately so yeah your fingers are swelling too aren't they yes i've I, you could see my stack of rings right here right gav has just taken off his wedding ring folks that does not mean he's back on the market it's, it's so things, please things are to him please form stop a, messaging form him. a line ladies <laughs> please don't i have to deal with that already no you don't Oh, all the waitresses have fall all over you. It's so annoying. <laughs> this doesn't happen. And 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 ladies in the gas station. This doesn't happen. They're just pleasant. There's people being pleasant. And all of those people just happen to be women. <laughs> and now Gav is blushing. Our penultimate storyline tonight. This morning. Oh, damn it. <laughs> 9.32 a.m. Gemma squads. Oh. Just a few scenes here on Friday. Gemma is... Starting to actually look pregnant. Heavily pregnant. <coughs> All well, of a sudden. Well, there are four babies in there, so... She's found some properties for her in Chez. Uh, so I was confused as to whether they're actually going out together again or not. They are not. But they're not. She's found a five-bedroom house. Chesney doesn't think they can afford it, but it turns out someone was murdered there, so it's pretty cheap. He doesn't want to stay in a house where there's been a murder. Mm. I think I think he lives in a house where there's been a murder currently. Probably, yeah. He thinks Gemma should move in uh, with him and she thinks they'd end up killing each other again. He says they'll just have to make it work. And it's, it's a strange kind of dynamic in the relationship that they have. Yeah, know. yeah, where they're going to be co-parenting and stuff. Living together, and that's never going to work. I don't think I'd necessarily be opposed to living in a house where a murder had taken place. Oh, I don't care. Yeah. Well, it's like... Um, as long as somebody's tied up. Right, yeah. Like, the other Manson murder house is currently up on the market. Remember I showed that to you the other day right. out in LA? Ridiculously overpriced. Mm-hmm. And uh, Trent Reznor owns the Sharon Tate mansion. Did you know that? The Nine Inch, nine inch Nails guy. Yep. Yeah. And the guy from The Waitresses owns the um, Jeffrey Dahmer house. That's 15 minutes on serial killer houses. <laughs> Let's crack on with Ches and Gemma, who meet up in the Rovers. He has a plan to build an extension on his house that'll give them three bedrooms. And then he plans to put a partition down the middle of the, middle of the living room to make another bedroom. The two of them can have a single bed each. And Gemma's not really taken by this. No, she rips up his plans and yells in his face and storms out. 
She overreacts a little bit. She's pregnant. Give her a, a, with four babies. <laughs> Leave her alone. So she's at the Rovers now asking for extra hours. But Jenny doesn't have any to give out. Uh, so Evelyn, who's there again because the store's shut, offers her hours at the store. And sure enough, later on, we see Gemma helping Evelyn out. And Gemma makes her promise not to tell Ches. And Evelyn thinks Gemma's hard to miss at the best of times, <laughs> but agrees to keep stum. Yes. So, so long as Ches never goes into devs. And, and never <sighs> wonders where... Where Gemma is. Where Gemma is when she's not working at the Rovers or at the... Um, kebab shop. Kebab shop. Anything more to say about that? No, this seems to be moving at a... Snail's pace. At a, at a, at a good pace for this particular story because it takes a while to gestate babies and, you know, so having it just pop in and out every once in a while, the storyline, not the babies, right? I think Oof. is the right way to do it. Yeah, the whole reason why there was three scenes this week is just to remind us that Gemma's, pregnant Gemma's still pregnant. Four babies. Our final story this morning. Yay! It's all about the roof. Ugh. So on Monday there were two bits to this. There was Nick's bit and then there was Gary's bit. I've kind of separated them out because this story was kind of jumping about a bit too much when I kept them together. So Nick's bit. It's Nick and Leanna in Roy's roles and she's looking forward to a cheeky wee day out. But he's worried about Sarah and how he needs to build bridges with her and remind her that he's still her brother. Easier said than done, says Leanne. So he turns up at the factory slash community centre, determined to help out and show his worth. But the Knicker people do not react well to him. They don't want anything to do with him, and nor does Sarah. He tries to apologise, but Sarah isn't interested. And then he bumps into Beth, who drops some photographs that she's taking for a photography class or something. Yes. And in one of the photos, we're supposed to think it's Nick. And he definitely thinks it's Nick. Mm -hmm. It's just a kind of figure that's jogging around a a pond or something, wasn't it? Right, yeah. And and the the person's in the background. Right. The the picture's really taken for the the flying geese. Yeah. Yeah. He says this was the morning of the collapse. Whoever took this photograph could be his alibi. And it turns out to be the person that took the photograph was the photography tutor person. Was it? I think. I think that's what it was. I think it was just somebody else in the class, wasn't it? Oh, maybe. Because it wasn't that good. Nick takes a photo to the police station and shows DS Beckett, who is singularly unimpressed. The photo was taken at 6.23, but that doesn't prove that he didn't sabotage the factory prior to that, which is absolutely Absolutely correct. correct, And usually a detail that they would miss out. Right. In fact, rather than exonerate Nick, Bennett is more interested in the language that he's using because he thinks that he's in the clear, like he's getting away with something. Right. Beckett has brought in Beth to talk about her movements. Not those movements. No. She basically backs Nick up without realising it. She nipped out to the shop at 6am when it opened for Cheesy Puffs and Cola Cubes, then listened to two songs on the Lady Gaga album before skipping to the final song. So it must have been around 6.20 when she heard the the noise from the roof. Mm -hmm. And Beckett thanks Beth for her help. And Beckett turns up in the street and refuses to rule Nick out. He may well have been on the other side of town, but that doesn't mean that he didn't uh, get a third party to do his dirty work. Absolutely. Nick pleads his innocence to Sarah, who isn't interested. Either way, Nick has hurt a lot of people, and she tells him to stay out of her way. Correct. Back at the flat, Nick tells Leanna about the police still suspecting him, but he says he doesn't care. All that matters is that his family believes him, and he's going to dedicate his life to making Leanne and Oliver proud of him. So Simon can get to fuck then. (laughs) (laughs) 
Again. They, they hug, and Nick has a far more worried look on his face than he's letting on. So we'll jump back to the start of Monday for Gary's bit. At Royce Rolls, Gary's got a text from one of those imbecile clients of his. He's dropped 200 quid off at the office. With who? The, the plant? <laughs> Just left 200 bucks? On the desk? And it, 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 or did he like stick it through the mail slot? Because hopefully it's locked. When we see it, it looks like it's just left on the table, on the desk. So Gary goes round to Rick the Chin's office. The payment has been left on the desk in plain sight, and Rick the Chin's daughter appears out of the shadows. He claims that he's been asked by Rick to keep an eye on the place, and the daughter is absolutely made of questions, and he hasn't paid next year's school fees. So what's going on with Rick? She says she's not going anywhere until she gets some answers. After a bit of a back and forth, Gary seems to manage to convince the daughter that he has no idea where Rick is, but if he hears from him, he'll tell Rick to give her a buzz. Sorted. Then later, Gary's got himself a brand new van. Well, it's not a brand new van, but it's a new van, mm-hmm. and it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Jan, in fact, compliments him on it, telling him good things happen to good people. Yikes. <laughs> we then see Rick the Chin's daughter lingering about in the shadows again, keeping an eye on Gary. Sarah and Adam are in the Rovers, and Ken apparently has invited them all round for a family dinner. Yay. Hmm. And yet, not everybody in the family is there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. He wonders why she's so glum. She's mulling over something that Beckett said about someone sabotaging the roof, and it seems like she's starting to think that Gary's been acting all shifty, although she doesn't come out and say anything. Then Gary's in the community garden when the daughter joins him looking for straight answers. Her name's Kelly, I think. She wants the truth. Either he starts talking or she starts screaming. And oddly, this is enough to get Gary's lips a-flapping. He tells Kelly that her old man's a loan shark, and she's genuinely surprised by this. Yeah, she thought he was... something else? Uh, He was in property. Right, yeah. She doesn't want to believe it. And Gary tells her this is why he was arrested and he's done a runner to get uh, away from the police. Right. He tells Kelly to sling her hook and leave him alone. She, he never wants to see her again, and she agrees to do this. Then Carla and Peter are moving into Ken's while work is underway at Roy's. Ken's about to start dinner, but Peter thinks a low-key takeaway is more in line with what Carla really needs right now. Jeez, it's all about Carla, isn't it? Aye. So it's family dinner time. Except family seems to exclude Daniel and Sinead and Tracy and Steve, who weren't invited. And Simon. Simon. Yeah, there's no Simon there. So every member... but so. Both sides of Simon's family has just forgotten that he exists. <laughs> Where even is he? Because <laughs> he's not staying with Nick and Leanne, I don't think. No, we it, don't see him there. He doesn't seem to be with Peter. He's not in school. <laughs> Sarah bemoans having to deal with Nick, and Carla is apologetic about this. Sarah deserves all the credit in the world, and Carla still owes Sarah for nicking her phone. Sarah's, yeah, I wonder whatever happened to that. And Carla's surprised that she didn't get it back, like everyone else who got their phones back. But maybe Carla didn't take it after all. Maybe it was Gary the ghost, and she tells of what she assumes was a hallucination at the hospital, although she doesn't know why she'd hallucinate about him. It was a strange person for her to have in her imagination. Right, yeah. She says that he was in the room rummaging through her bag, and although Carla and Peter downplay this, Sarah looks like she's putting two and two together here. Right, yeah, because... And it's funny that this is this is being downplayed, you know, as a hallucination when um it's not like her seeing Rana and Aiden because Gary is still alive. 
Right. Gary has really very little to do with her life. And neither the Rana ghost nor the Aiden ghost was rummaging through her bag. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a hallucination at all. Back at the flat, Sarah wastes no time in unburdening herself on Adam. What if Carla... What if Carla really did see Gary? Just for argument's sake. She remembers Gary being frantic about that voicemail that he left. And he's been really weird recently. Adam points out that Sarah is currently Gary's alibi. He was sleeping next to her, but she was asleep too, so she can't be sure if he was there or not. Adam tells her she needs to tell Beckett, but to be prepared for some tough questions. Mm -hmm. On Wednesday, Adam and Sarah are walking to the knicker factory. They enjoy a smooch in the middle of the street that Gary observes before crossing out of their way. Adam presses Sarah on reporting him to the police, but she doesn't have any firm evidence and she'd rather not talk about it, thank you very much. And then later she meets Gary on the bench thing. She has a question. What was that voicemail all about? And Gary can't remember. Then he says it was just that he loved her. He was crying, he was pathetic, and it was embarrassing, so that's why... He thought he deleted it, or... No, he didn't, because she doesn't know that he deleted it. Because the phone disappeared. Right, but she should still be able to access her voicemail once she got another phone. Right. She doesn't believe him, saying that he was frantic to know if she'd listened to it. Then his phone rings and he wanders off. Imran is on the phone to someone, the police maybe. They explain that there's a photo of Nick jogging and it couldn't possibly be him who brought the roof down. Adam suggests that maybe someone else had motive, an opportunity, and Imran, because he's a lawyer and dead clever in that, suspects that Adam knows something. Meanwhile, Sharon is waiting for Gary as he goes to his van. Almost didn't notice you seeing as you're not all chained up in that, she says, which was quite funny. You've not got jam all over your face. Mm -hmm. Why is Gary running Rick's business, she asks. He claims that Rick asked him to look after it, and now he's done a runner and is abroad, but Sharon doesn't believe a word of it. For a start, Rick fucking hated Gary. Correct. Gary tells her to do one, which she does, but it's clear that he's worried that the net is closing in on him. Right, yeah, and Sharon seems very defensive of... Kelly. Young Kelly, yes. Yeah, she deserves to know what happened to her dad and everything else. So, which makes me wonder what Sharon's relationship is to to Rick and to Kelly. She was a customer. Right, yeah, but she seems inordinately interested in Kelly getting justice for her dad or something. Yeah, and she started off being Rick the Chin's lackey. Right, and it's like the, and this then, little girl, you know, deserves to know what happened. So it's like Kelly has been in conversation with Sharon, but Kelly didn't know that her dad was a loan shark. Right. So, I don't know. The whole thing is confusing. Then Adam, who doesn't work at the factory slash community centre, turns up at the factory slash community centre. He thinks he may have told Imran everything that she told him about Gary. He thinks? Yeah. <laughs> Imran wants justice. Sarah fills Adam in on her meeting with Gary earlier and how none of it rang true at all. He encourages her to go to the police, but she doesn't want to put an innocent person in the frame again. And then Beckett turns up on the street. New information has come to light and she asks Gary to accompany her to the police station. Reluctantly, he gets in the car and is seen by Sharon, Imran, Sarah and Adam. And Sarah Conveniently. wonders if she's done the right thing. Yeah. And so then, apparently she has called the police. Yeah. In the interview room, Gary's sticking to his guns. He was in bed with Sarah until 7 when he got up and made a brew for Gail. He doesn't understand why he has to go through this all again, toot toot, when it's obviously Nick what did it. 
Beckett tells him that Nick is no longer the focus of their inquiries, and Gary grabs his collar a wee bit at this information. Beckett seems to know that Gary was in debt back then and visited the lone shark. She's got information linking him to Rick the Chin. Gary swallows a lot of saliva and has to admit it, and Beckett catches him referring to Rick in the past tense. Gary's not under arrest, so he's free to go, but she tells him not to stray too far, and next time it might be an idea for him to lawyer up. Gary comes out of the cop shop and is immediately contacted by one of those imbecile customers of his wanting to borrow more money. As he wanders away, Kelly walks up and into the police station, and is unseen by Gary doing this. Correct. Gary arrives at the rovers and Imran immediately starts winding him up. Enjoy yourself at the police station, did you? Gary knows it was him what called the police and tells Imran that he's a liar when Imran denies it. But in comes Sarah and she backs Imran up. Imran didn't call the police, she did. And then she suggests that they go and talk about this through the back. And then Paula says, Paula, who happens to be sitting there, (laughs) says to Gary that if he needs representation, because apparently this is what Paula does. Here's my card. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a conflict of interest, though, since she's already representing Nick for basically the same thing? No, I think it'd be a conflict of interest if she was representing Imran. Who, who's the who's the prosecution here? Would, would be the state. The crown. Yes. It would be the state here. Sorry. The crown versus Well, it would be Gary. either the state or the feds here. Is it always just the crown? It's not like the council or the local government or anything. It's uh, always the crown, I, huh? I don't know. But in this case, I think it would be the crown. Oh, that's just for crown court. Hmm. I think I think we have another <laughs> episode of Common Language <laughs> sorted. Haven't we done this already? No, no. We were just talking about lawyers. Oh, we did lawyers. So, right. Yeah, there's so much more to the law than just lawyers. Guy arrives at the Rovers. and oh, I think I've said that. Yep. Imran goes back to the office to speak with Adam about Gary and how Sarah admitted to calling the cops. Adam is now very worried that Imran has left Gary alone with her. And off he goes to the rescue on his little white horse. Gary asks her why she went to the police. Sarah explains to Gary about her suspicions about the voicemail, about Carla seeing him steal the phone, and about his behaviour, and how she thinks And about the fact that her phone was never returned to her, so... And how she thinks that he had something to do with the roof. He denies it and becomes quite animated as he says that he loved her, and all he wanted was for her to be proud, and the lengths that he went to to protect her. And she asks him again about the roof, and again he denies it. But before we can get anywhere else, Adam appears in the scene to break this up. Sarah tells Gary there's a darkness in him that she's always been quite scared of, and this is why she went to the police. Adam and Sarah leave, and Gary, who still hasn't got round to getting a pint yet, breaks down a wee bit. (laughs) Yes. Then... Then Sharon's waiting in the community centre, not the community centre, the community community garden, garden, and pounces when Gary walks by. She tells him Kelly has reported Rick the Chin missing, and not only that, how Gary has claimed that Rick has left him in charge of the business, which seems well dodgy. The police are going to have a shit ton of questions for you, pal, she says. Make no mistake. (laughs) On Friday, Kate is watching surveyors start working on the factory when Gary mumps along. Kate doesn't really want them to repair it because otherwise how are they going to remember? Yikes. (sighs) Gary gives her a part in the back, which Imran sees. He tells Kate about Gary being the prime suspect now, which Gary denies. Kate says that she's owed the truth because she's selfish. But Gary repeats mm-hmm. his innocence and, <laughs> and Imran isn't buying it and leads Kate away 
whether she wanted to go or not. Kelly turns up in the street, and the first person she sees is Faye. We haven't seen Faye for a while. Correct. Kelly asks after Gary Windass, and Faye asks why she's looking, and Kelly says quite aggressively that she wants to know what happened to her fucking dad. In the Rovers, Peter is speaking with Kate and Johnny, and they quickly inform him about Gary. Kate doesn't want to jump to any conclusions, and then, of course, Gary walks in, offering to explain and insisting his innocence still. But Peter's not having it, and he pushes Gary up against one of the booth posts and calls him out. It was you all along, he says, and all that business about going to the police to tell him about Carla, that was all part of your plan. Well, if you're lying, Peter tells him, you're going to end up begging to be locked up. And Gary is totally shitting himself. Did you think Peter was kind of weird in that scene? Weird how? Well, before Gary comes in and Johnny and Kate tell Peter that Gary is now prime suspect number one, he doesn't say anything. He just, he kind of looks pensive, but he doesn't say, oh my God, Gary, that's horrible. WTF. But then the second Gary walks in, Peter really kind of overreacts and goes after him and grabs his collar and yells at him and I think Peter's been thinking back to all the a little over the top all the interactions that he had with Gary around about that time and about mm. how he demanded to be paid off and all the stuff that was suspicious then and how does that play into these allegations I think he was just mulling it over hmm. and then decided whatever <laughs> let's just attack Gary Hmm. It just seemed kind of odd. Really? It seemed like a weird reaction. It was hot-headed. Well, it it was hot-headed, but initially it was not. Initially it was just nothing. I don't know. It seemed weird. So Gary seemingly has got a message from Faye and he goes around to see her. She explains she had a visitor and asks if Gary did it. Gary again, because all he does is plead his innocence, is pleading his innocence about Rana, but that's not what Faye's talking about. What happened to Rick the Chin? And now you're involved in Rana's death? What's happened to you, Gary, she says. You've changed ever since the roof came down. And he says that she's the last person he expected to doubt him. He can't lose her as well. So they hug, and Faye wonders if the police will be so easy to convince. Right, if even she's questioning him now, then the police are really going to. Right. So here's Gary's plan. He turns up at Imran's office, and he admits to keeping his mouth shut, and now he wants to confess. He's not going to lie anymore. Rana's dead because of him and explains about his debt problem and how desperate he was. He went to Rick the Chin to tide him over until he got paid for the roof, and Rick knew he was working on the roof and wanted to get Gary back for not paying his debts. He wanted to ruin Gary's reputation, so Rick and his hoods brought the roof down. Yeah, which is not believable at all, because all Rick wanted was his money. Right. I, if he had said, Rick knew I was working on the roof, and so he went and, sabot- and Rick went and sabotaged the roof... So that it would come down so that I would have some work. Right. That would make sense. But to say that he did it to ruin his reputation, which did Gary have a good reputation already? At I don't point, think not so. Much, no. no. It's it's just dumb and it just shocks me. It shocks me that Imran falls for this. Imran's falling for anything, just to pin blame somewhere. Right, yeah. Why tell me now, says Imran, because Rick the Chin has gone AWOL. Imran gets little comfort from this. His family and Kate and Carl have been put through hell. Gary insists he'll never forgive himself and he's off to tell the police right now. And Imran insists on coming along. Right, yeah. Because, you know, Gary wasn't really on his way to tell the police. (laughs) But now he has to. Beckett takes Gary away to be interviewed while Imran watches on. 
Beckett is well aware of Rick the Chin and his business interests. The only thing that he cares about is money. What business does he have with a roof? And Gary does his best to explain, but none of it really sticks. If Rick wanted his money, what would ruining Gary's reputation do to help that happen? Exactly. Far more. Beckett's been right on the ball this week. Right on the ball. Yes. Far more likely is Gary being involved in Rick's disappearance. And why was he at the office at least twice? Gary says he was there to make sure that Rick was really gone or to, conv- or to convince Rick to go to the police. Which doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, because that's not going to happen. He's only guilty of not coming forward sooner. And that's it. So then, uh, back on the street, Imran and Toya are chatting about the Gary situation. She feels awful for accusing Leanne for covering for Nick. She doesn't know if Leanne will ever forgive her. And Imran says that she will in time. Back at the police station, Gary has finished giving his statement and wants to leave. Beckett wonders if he has some place to be in a hurry. She explains that Gary has given her his motive. Thank you very much. She doesn't believe he's scared of Rick and is pinning it on Rick now that he's gone missing. Gary's going nowhere... This is going to be a long night. Buckle up, buckaroo. <laughs> and that is how we finish this week's episodes. Yay! Pretty good this week. I enjoyed yeah. it this week. Yeah. I, I have very little to complain about. Yep. Except for Gary. Just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I, I liked just... how they did the gradual unraveling of his lies. Right, yeah, but then well. but then he catches up with this other lie, which nobody should, nobody in their right mind should believe. This whole, you know, it was Rick the Chin who sabotaged the factory. Well, he has no one else to blame. No, he's run out of options. This is his last roll of the dice, I think. Absolutely. Which is moving along fairly quickly. Ugh, I'll be so happy when it's when it's over. I'll be so happy. At this rate, Ugh. Gary's getting charged next week. That's kind of what I feel like. That they're finally going to charge him with it. Do you think he's going to kill again beforehand? <laughs> or do something else evil? Because, I mean, this is supposed to be our big villain now. Right. You know, how long was Pat feeling the villain of the show? Oh, more than a year. Yeah. Maybe two years. Maybe they've realized that Gary makes a real rubbish villain, so they just want to put the kibosh on it so that they can roll in with the whole... Rachel thing. Yeah, I don't know. Because you know Rachel's killed. <laughs> and will kill again. Yes, she will. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. If he is to be the... There's still part of me that thinks Nick's involved in this somehow. Yeah. I, and and like I said, I, I feel like Peter's reaction was really weird. Which made me start to think about Peter again. Which, when I was never a Peter person you were a peter person i was for a, a peter while. person for a while yeah so now i'm kind of a peter person like oh my god you know was peter somehow it cahoots with gary for some reason so you think this was just a, a big act a big show for the for the crowd in the rovers to make sure everyone saw the reaction because up until peter took a drink i thought peter was very much acting right. hugely suspiciously right he was Carlos Shadow, he was insistent that she made really bad decisions mm-hmm. that just made people suspect her even more. Right. He insisted on making her and the family clash at the graveside and stuff, right. which yeah. helped nobody. Absolutely. And he did this time and time again. But then he took a drink. And I thought, well, maybe that lets him off the hook a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Isn't it? It's so awful. But what we're reminded of, though, from Beckett is that 
the factory roof came down four months ago. This was four months ago. And they're just now starting to rebuild that factory. Right. And the investigation is still ongoing, right. which is why the insurance hasn't paid out. Right. Hmm. Where's Wayne? Oh, God, I don't think we're going to see Wayne again. Boo! That sucks. More Wayne, more Baileys. This is my demand for the show. More Wayne, more Baileys. I don't think we're going to get both, and I think we're going to get Baileys. I think we might have seen the last of Wayne. No! For a while, at least. Boo! Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. I love Wayne. Your moment of the week. Evelyn and Roy trying to get a confession out of Larry. Oh, really? It's got to be an Evelyn and Roy thing. Because that was that was my happy place this week. <laughs> was the two of them. I, I quite liked how when she came down and he was ironing that she made sure that her house coat was super close. Right, super, yes. Super covered up. Like she actually believed that he was a sexual predator. Well, no. Or did she just... And... uh I did like that scene with the with the ironing and stuff. Um, like the bit where Roy admitted that Evelyn reminded him of his mother a wee bit, which I guess kind of explains his attraction to her. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, a getting, bit. we're getting a bit Freudian here. We're getting a we? little Oedipal here, but um, you know, and the way she compliments him and everything. I don't know. I just, so just I, that that scene that scene where Roy is trying to handle a smartphone for the very first time in his life, and Evelyn is, you know, all up in and Larry's grill and stuff, and the way that they're working together, it was just it was charming and it was funny and it was delightful and it just it made me happy. Okay, that's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Our boring moment of the week. Honestly, I feel like I fell asleep during the boring moments. Um, <laughs> Chesney explaining how he wants to redo their his flat. That was kind of boring. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's a Chesney, Jemma sort of boring thing. Yeah. Can you think of anything else that just... Chesney bored? explaining a partition down the living room is... Pretty boring. Pretty dull. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. That's our... Boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. It is 10 o'clock in the a.m. Shall we finish this up? Yes, please. If you want to tell us to quit going on about how bloody hot it is this summer, and it really is immensely hot though, here's how you can do that. Our email address for email, Skype address for voicemail, and PayPal account for any kind of tips you want to leave in our virtual jar is please, the talk of the to street. Buy a new air conditioner. <laughs> the talk of the street at gmail.com. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Cory Podcast on Instagram. And we have a blog at the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back slightly earlier next week, probably on Wednesday or Thursday, with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers.
Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.